Jude 1a will be our text, but we're going to read Jude 1 through 4 uh, together this evening. Hear then God's holy word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And let's just, let's just read verse 1a again, okay? We'll just read just our text. This is what we're going to think about together tonight. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask God's blessing of our study of it tonight. Father in heaven, we are uh, eager uh, to open up your word again and to hear what you have to say to us Uh, Father, uh, having been able to work through this book once before, I am excited to work through this book again for uh, truly, Lord, it has many relevant and wonderful things to say to us even now in the year 2023. Uh, Words of hope, words of warning, words of wisdom, words that will ultimately help us be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is our prayer uh, that you would help us to hear the voice of our shepherd uh, as we study this book tonight again uh, and so become more like him in every way. It's in his name we pray. Amen. People of God, there's a a scene uh, in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian, the main character, and his friend Faithful are led by shepherds from the delectable mountains up to the top of a hill called Error, which is very steep on its farthest side. And the shepherds lead Christian and Faithful to the top of this hill, and they tell Christian and Faithful to look over this steep side down to the bottom. And when Christian and Faithful do, they see several men at the bottom of the hill dashed all to pieces because they had fallen from the top. Christian then asks the shepherds, what does this mean? And the shepherds say, these are pilgrims who've been led into error by listening to false teachers. And their bodies remain unburied at the bottom of this mountain to serve as an example to others to take care that they don't climb too high or come too near the edge of this mountain. Now that scene, uh, or, or I should say Bunyan's point in that scene, is that there are many once professing Christians who've made a shipwreck of their faith and their souls because they've listened to false teachers and been led astray by erroneous doctrine and teaching. And so so God's people need to be careful 
lest they too fall off the edge of the hill called error and dash themselves to pieces at the bottom. The book of Jude is a book, or, or more accurately, a letter, which is written to keep God's people off of that hill called error. This book, this letter, it confronts a false teaching which was prevalent in the first century and which is still prevalent in the church today. It is the false teaching of antinomianism, or if you want a simpler word, lawlessness. Lawlessness. Lawlessness is the opposite of legalism, okay? Legalism is another error that God's people can fall into. We might say that legalism is the ditch that lies on one side of the road of the Christian life. Legalism essentially says that it's through the law that we gain salvation. It's by doing certain things that we gain God's approval and God's acceptance. Uh, If you've ever read the book of Galatians, legalism is the problem in the book of Galatians. People were telling the Galatian Christians that to be saved, they needed to believe in Jesus and they had to do something. They had to be circumcised, right? They had to obey the law to, to, to discover and to find for themselves salvation. That's legalism. But on the other side of the road of the Christian life, we have, we have another error and it's the error of lawlessness. And this is the teaching that says the believer can live however he or she wants. It's the teaching that says, because God is gracious, let sin abound in your life. Do whatever you want. It does not matter how you live. The only thing that matters is that you love Jesus. This error of lawlessness is seen in an editorial that was submitted to and published in the banner about three years ago. The banner, if you're not from these parts, is our denominational magazine, which is sad that I can quote an article from that as an example of false teaching, but anyway, it won't be the first time in this sermon. Uh, This man, writing to the banner, wrote this. Paul says that what you do matters not if you do it unto the Lord. Now, I've looked for that for three years. I still haven't actually found where Paul says that. That's a perversion of something else Paul says. But this is what the man writes, and the banner finds it fitting to publish it. Now, again, a couple years ago, not recent, not recent. The ship is maybe turning, but a couple years ago. Paul says, what you do matters not if you do it unto the Lord. We are not held together by a code of conduct, but by our love for Jesus which is manifested in a rainbow variety of different behaviors. That was what was submitted to and published in the banner. And of course, you know why this gentleman uses the word rainbow. You can tell simply by what I read, what he's advocating for. But, but he says what? He says, what we do doesn't matter at all. All that matters is that we love Jesus. And yet, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, this, this man, 
who submitted this article to the banner. He, 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 is, he is a false teacher. And he's advocating for a false teaching, for, for lawlessness. He's advocating for, for, for something um, that is not true. He's advocating for the same thing that people were advocating for in Jude's day, all right? This is the error which is being confronted by Jude in this letter. The error of legalism is being confronted in Galatians. The error of lawlessness is being directly confronted in Jude. Take a look at verse four, all right? There Jude writes, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people. And what do these people do? They pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Or I like the NIV's translation here. They pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. All right, do you hear what's going on in Jude's day? Do you hear how people are perverting the grace of God? They're saying the grace of God gives you a license to sin. It gives you a license to be immoral and to live however you want. This is what people were saying in Jude's day, people in the church. And in this letter, Jude says, no, no, this is a perversion of the gospel. Right, so this, this is the false teaching Jude is confronting in this letter, the false teaching of lawlessness. We don't know exactly when this letter was written. This letter could have been written as early as the mid-50s AD. This letter could have been written as late as 90 AD. It could be that this is the very last letter or book written in all of Scripture. There's good arguments for an early date. There's good arguments for the later date. We do know that Jude shares many things in common with 2 Peter, and because of that, most scholars believe that either Peter used Jude or Jude used Peter. If Peter used Jude, then that favors an early date written before 66 AD. If Jude used Peter, that favors the later date written after 70 AD and probably closer to 90 AD. Anyways, we don't know when it was written. We also don't know exactly who this letter was written to. All right, the address in verse 1b is pretty generic and can really only let us draw the conclusion that this letter was written to believers. And I would say that that's the way God intended it, right? God, God, God wants us to hear this letter not as being written to uh, a specific group of people who lived in a faraway land long, long ago. No, God wants us to hear this letter as being written to us. And the address, right, the address here in verse 1b allows that. The letter is written to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Who is that? That is you and that is me as believers in Jesus. What we do know about this letter is that Jude has strong words for false teachers who've crept into the church and who've led God's people up that hill called error. We see those strong words, particularly in verses 4 through 16. We'll look at those as we come to them. We know that Jude also has some very relevant and applicable words for Christians living in the midst of false teachers. We see those words in verses 17 to the end, all right? But before Jude gets into the meat of the letter, there are two things he wants us to know. First, Jude wants us to know who he is, 
And second, he wants us to know who we are as believers. And he answers, and he identifies both of those things in verse one. We're just gonna look at the, at the first one tonight. Who Jude is. Who is Jude? We see the answer in verse 1a. He writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now the name Jude is to Judas what the name Nate is to Nathan or Pete is to Peter or Matt is to Matthew, okay? The name Jude is simply the shortened version of Judas. And the name Judas is simply the Greek version of the Hebrew name Judah. Anyway, the name Judas was a very, very common name in the first century, and this is seen in the fact that one-sixth, one-sixth of Jesus' disciples had the name Judas, all right? There was Judas Iscariot, whom we know well, but there was also another disciple whose name was Judas. He's called Judas, son of James, in Luke 6, 16, He's called Judas, not Iscariot in 14. I think that's so funny. This is Judas, not Iscariot. Don't worry about that, buddy. I won't, I won't throw you in with him, right? And in Matthew, Mark, he goes by another name. It's the name Thaddeus, okay? So one-sixth of Jesus' disciples had the name Judas. In addition to this, the New Testament tells us about other Judases uh, who weren't part of Jesus' disciples. Uh, in Mark 6, verse 3, we're told Jesus had a brother named Judas. In Acts 5.37, where we read about Judas the Galilean. In Acts 9.11, I like this one too, we read about Judas who lived on Straight Street. Oh yeah, that Judas, we all know who you're talking about. And in Acts 15, we read about Judas called Barsabbas who sailed with Silas on his missionary journey. So, so Judas was a, a very, very common name in first century Israel. Thankfully then, this, this Judas, or Jude as he calls himself here, he tells us more about himself. He tells us he's a servant of Christ. We'll come back to that. He also tells us that he's the brother of James. And that detail, that detail I think can help us identify who Jude is. You see, in the first century, there was only one James who could be spoken of in such an unqualified way as this. There was only one James who came to Christians' mind when they heard the name stand alone, as it does here. There was only one James, okay, in the first century church who needed no further introduction. And it's the James we read about in Acts 12, Acts 15 and Acts 21, who was a key figure and leader in the early church. This is the same James who wrote the book of James. He was well known amongst the believers in the first century. We might say he was the James in a world of Jameses. If Jude was speaking about any other James here, he would have had to specify who that James was, but he doesn't. Because it seems he knows that everybody is fully aware of the James of whom he speaks. Interestingly enough, James himself was well known, not only because he was a leader in the early church, but also because he was Jesus' brother. 
In Galatians 1.19, Paul writes, but I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James was Jesus' brother, well, half-brother if you want to if you want to get technical. And if you'd go, go back to the list of Jesus' brothers in Mark 6, you'll see that James's name is actually at the top of the list. Now, you're smart people. I've already told you that Jesus had a brother named Judas. And now we learn that Jesus had a brother named James. And now Jude says he has a brother named James. Has it clicked yet which one of the aforementioned Judas's Jude is? He is the Jude who is Jesus's brother. Now he doesn't refer to himself as Jesus's brother, does he? Instead, Jude refers to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, boys and girls, would you refer to yourself as a servant of your brother or sister? Would you? No way. Naomi says no. Creed says yes. I don't believe him. But Naomi says no. All right. No, I don't think most of us would refer to ourselves as a servant of our brother or sister. And yet Jude calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. I want to spend the rest of our time tonight focusing on this self-designation that Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ. And what I want us to see together, the introduction was over half the sermon, so don't get too concerned, right? Hang with me. Uh, What I want us to see together is that in this self-designation, there is a contrast, there is correction, and there is grace, okay? In this self-designation that Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ, there there is a contrast, there is correction, and there is grace. So first there is in this a contrast. Notice what Jude says about the false teachers who've crept into the church and perverted the grace of God. We see it in verse four. He says that these people deny our only master and Lord. Do you see what Jude is saying? He's saying these people, you know, they they sound nice. They look the part, but don't be fooled. These people are not servants of Christ. And so with this self-designation, Judas contrasting himself with these false teachers. And he's saying the fundamental difference between me and them is this. I'm a servant of Jesus. And they are not. And certainly this gives, this gives Jude some clout, doesn't it? Certainly this puts some teeth behind what he has to say in this letter. He's speaking as a servant of Jesus Christ. Another Banner article. Uh, I can't remember if it was two, two years ago or three. It doesn't really matter. It was in the fall. But the CRC came out with a Banner edition entitled Same-Sex Relationships in the CRC. It was, it was a big one, a doozy. And in this article, they interviewed several CRC members about the issue of same-sex marriage and the church. One lady whom they interviewed, she's married to her partner. She wants all of you and, and us to be okay with that. She began her interview or her article this way. This is, how, this is how her article began or her interview began. I am a child of this denomination. 
I grew up in Holland, Michigan, going to Christian school, attending church services twice on Sunday, and discussing the sermon with my grandfather at coffee. I was a a fourth-generation Calvin University graduate, and after finishing graduate work, I took a position there. All right, that's how she began her article. And you see what she's doing, don't you? She's saying, you should listen to me because of these things. Certainly what I have to say about this matter of same-sex relationships in the CRC is worth something because of these credentials. But now contrast that with Jude's opening. Remembering again that Jude is the brother of Jesus. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Tell me which one is more powerful. Tell me which one grips your heart. The one who begins with, I'm a child of this denomination. I grew up in Holland. I went to Christian school. I attend church twice on Sunday. I discussed the sermon with my grandfather after coffee. I went to Calvin University, and now I work there. Or the one who says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I will take the servant of Jesus Christ. There's a contrast here. And it's a contrast that ought to get our attention, right? It's a contrast that ought to get our attention. By the way, doesn't, it, doesn't, it, uh, uh, doesn't the fact <laughs> that our own denominational publication has served as an illustration twice now in reference to the false teaching of lawlessness show us that perhaps these false teachers have indeed infiltrated our own ranks, right? I mean, I think it's plain, right? The, the, the ready illustration of these problems are coming from our own denomination's publication. Now again, those articles are two to three years old, and I think the ship is beginning to, to turn, and I'm thankful for that. But it certainly brings to light where we've got ourselves and what has happened to us in our denomination, and I'm thankful for those who have recognized this and who are fighting the good fight. So there's a contrast. Second, there is, there is correction. There is correction because the temptation for many of us is to, like that lady, rest on our earthly credentials in our relationship with Jesus. Right? If we go back to that banner article, uh, that's what the author was doing. She was resting on the fact that she was a lifelong CRC member and the fact that she went to church twice on Sunday on the fact that she attended Calvin right? She's essentially saying to us, I'm good, and because of these things, you shouldn't doubt my salvation. And yet, we all fall into that same trap, don't we? The expression of it might be unique to her, but it's not, the problem is not unique to her. All of us have the ability and the tendency to rest on our credentials in our relationship with God. We too know how to rest on our church attendance. We too know how to rest on the faith of our parents and grandparents. We too know how to rest on the fact that we have gone to Christian school or that we give money to church each and every week. And yet here, Jude is reminding all of us that the only proper relationship a person can have with Jesus is as his servant. I mean, if anyone had reason to boast in their credentials, it was Jude. He was Jesus' brother. They grew up in the same house. They might have shared a room. And yet Jude cites none of that. 
He simply calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude understands what matters. Jude understands what's important. He gets that it's not by being the brother of Jesus that one is saved. It's by being being a servant of Jesus that one is saved. It's not by being related to Jesus that one is in a right relationship with him. It's It's by being a servant that one is in a right relationship with him. Jude gets that. And we, we need to get that too. We do, because in our hearts, uh, if we are people who, who, if we're not careful, we do say, don't we? Well, I've gone to church my whole life. And Jude here says, fine, fine, but are you a servant of Jesus Christ? We're people who in our hearts might say, I'm a fourth generation Christian Reformed Church member. Jude says, I don't care if you're Jesus' brother. Are you a servant? of Jesus Christ. In our hearts, we might say, you know, I'm a good person. Jude says, good for you. What I want to know is if you're a servant of Jesus Christ. All right, there's correction here. With this self-designation, Jude reminds us of what matters in our relationship with Jesus. And it's faith. Do we trust in him and him alone for salvation or are we leaning on our credentials and on our resume? Finally, in this self-designation, we see that there is grace. There is grace. You know, Jude, Jude wasn't always a servant of Jesus Christ. If we'd go back to Mark 3.21, we'll see that Jesus' family... Uh, of which Jude was a part, Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy, and they wanted to seize him, and they wanted to lock him up because of it. He was an embarrassment to them. If we go to John 7, 5, we're told not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. Jude wasn't always a servant of Jesus. There was a time when Jude was embarrassed by Jesus, a time when Jude wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And yet now Jude calls himself a servant of Jesus. And the New Testament tells us what what happened. According to Acts, it seems the resurrection happened, and it changed the minds of Jesus' brother. Brothers, excuse me. Because in Acts 1.14, shortly after Jesus ascends into heaven, we read that Jesus' brothers were among the believers who were devoting themselves to prayer. Before that, we're told they don't believe in him. Jesus rises from the dead, ascends to heaven. Lo and behold, Jesus' brothers are among the believers devoting themselves to prayer. The resurrection changed their minds. The resurrection apparently caused Jesus' brothers to say, truly he is Lord and Christ and the Savior of sinners. Truly he is the Son of God. Truly he is the one we must worship and bow down before and serve. And yet the fact that Jude, who was once an unbeliever, can now call himself a servant of Jesus, and can now be used by God to write this powerful and timely letter, which has blessed the church for 2,000 years, makes it plain to us, doesn't it, that with the Lord, there is forgiveness. With the Lord, there is mercy. 
Yes, it's true, some of us are tempted to base our salvation on our credentials. We're tempted to hold out to God our church attendance, our giving, our going to a Christian school, all of those things. And we need to be corrected in our thinking. We need to remember that what matters is whether or not we are Christ's servant. But it's also true that some of us are tempted to despair of our salvation because our past is so wretched and sinful and because we walked in unbelief for so long. And yet we too, don't we? We too need to be corrected in our thinking. Because the truth is there is mercy and there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is restoration for all who, like Jude, recognize the error of their unbelieving ways, repent of their sin, and humbly offer themselves to Christ as his willing servant. Yes, people of God, there is grace in this self-designation. There is grace in seeing a former unbeliever now refer to himself as a servant of Christ. Perhaps you, this day, will repent of your sins and recognize yourself as a servant of Christ. You too, you too can call yourself this, a servant of Jesus Christ. With the Lord, there is forgiveness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's in verses like Jude 1a where we recognize the power and wonder of your word. For how can there be so much truth packed into just a few words that at first glance seem to be relatively meaningless? But Lord, there is truth here for us truth of, 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 of who we're called to be as servants of Christ, truth of, of your grace and your mercy in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would impress this truth upon our hearts again tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen.